0: Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today I'm joined by Jay Donnell. Jay, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, David, thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, so, for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course.
1: Um, so, you know, I'm a developer. I, I started off, you know, when I was in the army. Uh, one of my roommates happened to have some books on programming, so I started teaching myself to code and You know, it's uh, been a wild ride since then. Uh, I spent the first decade or so of my career doing startups, two to be exact. Uh, I learned an enormous amount across a broad range of skills at these startups. But at um, a certain point, you know, I felt like I had this very broad knowledge, but uh, I didn't have deep knowledge in anything in particular. And uh, so at that point in my career, I decided, you know, to look for the polar opposite of a startup and uh, went to AT&T as a research engineer, uh, which is actually where we met. And so I spent a few years there. Yeah, going really deep on search engines, web crawler, big data, and that kind of thing. Uh, And then, you know, once again, at that point in my career, at that juncture, I realized that being a deep expert in a narrow field like search engines isn't exactly what I wanted to be, that I preferred being that generalist with a broad skill set. So I decided to look for another new challenge. And, um, you know, you were there once again, you'd already (laughs) left AT&T. Yeah, and you were at this startup called Digison that Disney had just acquired. Uh, you got me to come over there and take a role, and and I helped lead a big successful launch, which led to me getting, you know, promoted to to director and executive level position, and then I've spent the last decade or so of my career as a technology executive, leading fairly large teams across a broad range of technologies and, and business
0: domains. Awesome, yeah, it's been uh, it's really been cool from from my perspective to see that that whole arc, uh, just because we've we've known each other for quite a while at, at this point in time. Uh, And yeah. So, okay. So one of the things that that I think uh, has already come out is that sounds like you don't have a traditional CS uh, background. Is that right?
1: No, actually I do. I, um, you know, when I got out of the army, I, you know, I taught myself to code, uh, but I also started going to school for computer science. And so I was going to school at night, you know, working my way through college in the day. And, um, you know, at some point i figured out that I was pretty good at this coding thing. And so I started applying for jobs. At that point, I didn't have a degree, I didn't have any experience. And so the only people that would humor hiring me were these small startups. And so I got my first job at a small startup before I had a degree, and before I had any professional experience. Uh, And I was actually the first uh, tech person they hired. So I got thrown in the deep end right away. Uh, And I was doing everything from coding the front ends, coding the back ends, running the servers doing the IT in the office, um, while at the same time going to school at night. Uh, and I eventually did, you know, finish my bachelor's uh, in computer science. Uh, it took me about nine years. But uh, by that point, I'd already been a programmer for probably three or four years.
0: Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah, I guess I I didn't quite know that. So did you, looking back on it, do you think that that is uh, a good approach to do you maybe start at a startup where you're doing everything and you're you're getting that general experience, and then maybe you know specialize or something like that. Or looking back on it, do you think uh, if someone starts more at a larger company, corporation, a bigger thing, that's that's a, a better on ramp for beginning.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think there's a right answer either way. Um, there's not one singular way to, to do it. And I've, I've known very successful people that have done it all kinds of different ways. Uh, and honestly, I think the most important thing is that, um, you know, I think when I see more junior people trying to make these types of decisions, they feel like these existential crises, you know, uh, and, and in reality, they're not like, it's going to probably be fine either way. So don't worry so much about <laughs> it, um, you know, and, and as long as you're pushing yourself and, and learning and, and constantly, you know, striving to be better it'll probably work out in the long run, regardless of, of which uh, path you take first.
0: Mm. How would you characterize the difference between what a junior's day-to-day or experience or learning or growth would be like at a a startup like yours or like, like that you, you were at way back then or uh, what you know of larger companies like AT&T or uh, Disney?
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, differ that much between them you know at the larger companies there's a little more overhead there's more you know there there are more hoops you have to jump through rules policies those kinds of things but at the end of the day when you're a junior developer you know someone else is telling you what to build for the most part and your job is just to to write the code get it out the door and ideally it doesn't have a lot of bugs and it doesn't fall over under expected load and uh, if you're doing that, you, you can consider yourself uh, being successful at that level um, and, and not worrying so much about the rest of it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So in, in your experience, were there, were there any particular skills that you think helped you through those, those earlier stages?
1: I, I mean, the main one's being self-sufficient, you know, mm. and I think it, you know, anyone that's learned how to code's probably figured this out already, um, but you're just constantly faced with problems that you don't know the answers to. Uh, And that's normal Uh, and and being able to figure out, you know, how to solve those problems. And, you know, these days, a lot of it's just searching on Stack Overflow, which uh, didn't exist (laughs) when you and I started doing this. Uh, So it was a lot harder back in the day. But these days, you can normally search on the internet and and get a pretty good triangulation on the solution you need and um, and get it solved. Uh, And that's really the most important thing. Um, If you can get that stuff done without having to, you know, ask your boss or ask the lead engineer or other people. Uh, then you're you're probably doing really well for yourself.
0: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a balance, right? because I'm sure you've had a situation where you've had someone on your team and they they just really struggle with whatever problem, right and they don't want to bother you they don't they don't want to take your time, which you know, we just said is is an advantage. you know you do want them to be self-sufficient. but uh, how do you like how would you define that that dividing line between really, really trying to figure it out yourself versus, okay, it's time to, to get help and, and tell someone and, and try and figure out a different way. Yeah,
1: you know, I, think, uh, I think a good rule of thumb for that kind of thing is to write it down kind of formally, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think with our, you know, the tools we have today like Slack where it's really easy to just jump in and ask someone a question without really putting in a lot of effort uh, you kind of want to do the opposite of that, right like sit down, open up word even right and write out like look these are the steps I took to try to solve this problem these are the hurdles I faced these are the roadblocks I ran into uh, and if you can write that stuff down and look over it and say to yourself, yeah, I've done a pretty good job exhausting you know the the resources available to me and I'm, I'm still stuck then then reach out to someone uh, for sure.
0: Um, oh I love that yeah it's amazing. I think I think the the yeah, the, this this concept of like immediate feedback really is it it's like useful, right? You like you said, like Slack, you just immediately ping someone, or if you do have that advantage, and and I think there's this temptation to just be like, okay, I tried, and now I need your help, but it's so it's. It, there's there's a lot that can come in between that, and it makes me think of. Uh, I feel like I, I associate with MIT. There was a professor, the the MIT teddy bear, and so before anyone asked him a question, they had to ask uh, this stuffed animal that was, you know, obviously this inanimate object. But they had to ask the question aloud to the teddy bear before they were allowed to ask him the question because what he realized was so many students once they got to the point of asking him they would say the problem aloud and then just in the act of saying it aloud they would would realize like oh wait i know i know what to do and so he just wanted to cut out a lot of that immediately going to him that that time and just have them forced to say it say it aloud now i think like you said writing it out um is you know does a lot of the same thing like it it forces your brain to a particular way of putting it out there and that that you can see and it's totally possible that of course you write it all out there and you realize like yep i have i have exhausted all the things that i can do on my own and now it's time to to get some help or just when you see it structured that way you realize like oh wait no there there is something i can do
1: yeah i mean 80 percent of the time you'll probably figure it out through <laughs> writing it down um you know and it's really just about respecting people's time and not interrupting people right so i think another thing you can do as well is um you know, go out to lunch with people. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, it's a nice place to just mention like, Oh yeah, I'm working on this thing. And, you know, this is what I'm struggling with and, and you're not interrupting them because they're not in the middle of their workflow. Right. And it's probably somebody are <laughs> right. friends with. Um, and so that, that works as well, if you want to short circuit it a little bit. Um, but I think the main thing is just not to, you know, to try not to, to interrupt people uh, when you can. Right. And that's a good general rule across the board.
0: Yeah. I, I think for a lot of the engineers that, that, uh, I work with one of the things that I try and get them to do is to think um, and, and in a way that that is backed up with writing. So as they're thinking of how to do something, to actually write it down so that there is output, um, and then also to really think a lot, a lot more like horizontally. Like any particular problem can have. You know, an, almost an infinite number of possible solutions or approaches, uh, and not to get attached to the very first one, even if the first one that they think of is ultimately what they do, to at least um, just write it down as a possibility, come up with, uh, you know, two or three more. So just that there are, you know, a, a number of options to go with, and then to, you know, try and compare them with with pros and cons. And I feel like just the act of forcing um, themselves to come up with different alternatives, generally uh, makes the process go a lot better as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, another
1: thing is just take a break. Sometimes, you know, a lot yes. of times I solve problems when I stop trying to solve them, right? You know, oh, yeah, work on something else. And, You know, call it a day. You know, at the end of the day, and go home. And and normally, when I'm you know laying in bed trying to go to sleep or taking a shower in the morning, it's it's when the solution comes to me. Uh, Oh yeah, totally. You know, sometimes it's best to just uh, give it a pause.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally right. So um, for you, uh, you know, it seems like you've you've definitely transitioned. You know, got new roles uh, uh, throughout your career. Um, was there any one where like you were going into it and you were really sort of nervous about whether or not you'd be able to handle it or, you know, was there anything like surprising about when you, you came into any of those roles?
1: Oh yeah, that's a, it's a really great question. Um, you know, I think the truth is I'm, I'm nervous going into almost all of them. Uh, (laughs) and, and one of the principles I've tried to, to have throughout my career is to always push myself out of my comfort zone. Because that's how you grow and and get better at things. And if you find yourself, you know, good at something and and you feel yourself in that comfort zone, it it means you're not learning a lot anymore, right? Right. And so, um, you know, before I got that first job at the startup, um, I actually took a consulting contract uh, gig making an e-commerce site. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd never built anything of consequence before at all in my career. Uh, and I actually had no idea how to do it. And so I just jumped off you know, into the deep end and figured it out. And after I did that, I realized you know, I could figure these things out. Um, and at every step in the journey since then, I've, I've always tried to take on something that I'm that's way out of my comfort zone and you that know, makes me nervous at some level going into all of them.
0: Right. It's almost like that, that, that nervousness is not a signal that you shouldn't be doing it. It's kind of like a signal that if you if you do this, like this is an opportunity for growth. It's sort of like like a it's like an attractive signal at some point.
1: Yeah. And, I, you know, I heard this line somewhere and I don't remember where it was from, uh, but it said that if, you know, if you're not a, if you're not failing occasionally, you know, you're not taking enough risk and you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've kind of always taken that to heart. Uh, but it does mean you fail sometimes. Right. And I've certainly had a number of failures over my career. Uh, but those are the things you learn from, and you learn the most from, uh, oftentimes. Uh, and so, yeah. don't, don't be afraid of failure, and don't be afraid to to jump into something that it's definitely stretch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember if I've said this uh, already on the show, but even particularly big failures uh, may not be career ending. Um, I think there's a story of of maybe like Milken or, or maybe one of those other you know super famous finance uh, type people where he had. Uh, an associate working with him or whatever they're called. And that person forgot to, to make a trade or like close out like a trade. Uh, and then maybe like the weekend happened. And then when he finally got around to selling it on Monday morning, like they lost, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars or something like that because it, it lost value uh, after the time they were, they were supposed to do it. And, um, you know, this associate was, of course, like really uh, upset and, and realized they, they had messed up big time and, and went to Milken and said like, Hey, you know, I did this. I totally accept responsibility. Uh, I will, you know, I'll resign. You can fire me. Like I understand. And Milken said like, what? I just spent a quarter of a million dollar training. you like, I'm not firing you. And, you know, I think not to say that there aren't ways to, to fail in a way that would be really bad, but they're not, always world ending and oftentimes a lot of the the mistakes or the the failures that you can make as a junior level you know junior dev mid level dev um they're often reversible in in some ways or they're just like they lead to delays or or things that may not be a huge deal in the in the grand scheme of things um you know some mistakes like you you wind up uh <laughs> you know you choose a particular way to do something and over time, you realize, like, wait, that this is constantly going to be irritating, or we're going to wind up paying this, this tax because of this decision we made in the past. But, you know, even those, you just kind of learn to, to deal with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, the key is to not repeat the mistake, right? It's, mm. it's in, if you find yourself making the same mistake multiple times, then, then you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, as someone that, that's, you know, run a lot of engineering teams, a lot of different companies when when you hire a junior person you know you know they're going to make a lot of mistakes and you know that you're uh you know you're paying for them to learn to some degree uh and and that's to be expected um and so so don't don't fear making mistakes just make sure that that you learn from them and, and don't repeat them and and normally if you've got you know good leadership uh everyone will, will be happy with that
0: yeah i remember i think there was like a a post on reddit about a junior dev who joins this startup, and uh, on their like first week, first day, something like that, they tried to run the tests, and it wound up connecting to the production database. And so the test like did a you know a drop database clear yeah. so that the test would run. Yeah. And so this junior dev winds up completely nuking their production database, and they didn't have backups or something like that. And, the you know, the CTO fired them. And what's important about this story is not that, oh, wow, if you aren't careful, like you're going to get fired. It's that that wasn't, that wasn't the junior developer's fault, right? Like having those tests set up in such a way that a junior developer could possibly nuke the database or that you don't have your production database backed up. Those are... Those are all things that leadership is responsible for. Um, And so if a junior developer is able to make such a uh, impactful mistake, like that's not the junior's fault, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean that's that's a hundred percent the <laughs> the fault of the who,
1: whoever set up the system that, that allowed a junior developer to delete the production database. Uh, yeah,
0: and so it's just important to recognize that, like, as a junior, like you you should be insulated from being able to make huge irreversible um, uh, mistakes. Uh, and if you're not, like, that's not actually your fault. And so that might be cold comfort if you wind up doing it, find out that your company actually doesn't have its um, stuff together and you do wind up getting fired, like it's probably not a good thing to hear. Like, well, that wasn't your fault and you don't want to be with that company anyway. But that's also kind of the truth.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just bad system design. You, know, you, yeah. you, you don't want a lead developer to be able to accidentally delete the production database because that's going to happen at some point. If it's
0: really oh, absolutely. Yeah. For them to do that by mistake. <laughs> yeah it's like so it's like look if if that happens then like you those aren't the people you wanted to learn from anyway like that's you're just you're gonna wind up being around people who are gonna teach you bad habits so just act act as if like you you are in a position to to make mistakes because that that's that's how you learn look it's it's certainly better to make uh to learn from other people's mistakes but you know just generally that's the that that's the growth uh, yeah yeah so, so for you, like, was there any, is there anything like looking back, like, is there any career moves or anything that looking back you, you think you should have done differently, but you didn't know to? Oh,
1: I mean, you know, I think that's the sort of cliched question, right? Like if you're
0: happy with where <laughs> you're at, would you change anything in your past? Yeah. And the
1: answer is probably no. Right. Um, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how everything's turned out. So I, I probably wouldn't mess with it. Um, <laughs> it. It potentially could go worse. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, but, uh, I feel like I always have that conversation with, the, not always, but like that conversation sort of comes up with my wife and it's like, oh, would you have gone to a different school or like, would you have made these different situations? And it's like, are you trying to get me to say that, like, I wish we weren't married? Because like, you know, who knows what would have happened if like I had a completely different life and, you know, I i am happy. So <laughs> it's its nice to hear that you are happy.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I'm pretty happy. uh generally it's my disposition, but I think, you know, looking back, I think the, the biggest sort of pivot for me and, and the, the hardest decision was the one to go into management. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was always kind of reluctant to go into management. I, I love writing code. You know, to this day, I love writing code. It makes me happy. You know, I'll often tell people that, you know, growing up, I love playing basketball, you know, and I love writing code the same way I love playing basketball. And if someone mm-hmm. had told my, you know, 16 year old self like, Hey, you, you know, you can make a really nice living doing this thing you love all day it sounds like a dream, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and the idea of, you know, dealing with the politics or, you know, when you become a manager, honestly, a a big part of it's, you know, uh, helping people through a lot of their problems, you know, you become a, you know, people uh, person rather than a tech person. Um, And that was a big change for me. And and I think that was the one that, you know, for a number of years, I was really unsure if I made the right choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the end of the day, it it was, you know, I kind of realized that, Helping people was very satisfying. Helping them grow, you know, helping them advance in their career, helping them learn skills, and you know, just seeing the output um, from that that mentorship uh, was so satisfying that, that it was definitely worth it in the long run. But I know there were definitely a number of years there where I, I second guessed whether you know I wanted to go back and be an IC just because <laughs> I, I love code so much.
0: I mean, I yeah, I I oftentimes definitely have almost like yeah fantasize about just being an individual contributor somewhere where i can just concentrate on um the code uh recently i had mike brevort on on the show and he he was a long time manager i think he was even um you know a director or manager at, at, at slack and he recently went back into an ic role and uh there's definitely a part of me that's like oh man that would be so That would be so nice. Like, just imagine, just mostly concentrating on, on code. But look, I, you know, on the other hand, it's just so rewarding to not be as hands-on. You know, the the idea that you are, it's more like, it's it, it probably doesn't come across well if you say it like you're programming people. Um, But it's 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 more. It can be so much more rewarding to be able to help a large number of people do the, you know, the, the, the coding and the building and to, to be able to make sure a lot more things in parallel get done and get done well, that those people are growing and their capabilities are increasing. Um, I certainly really enjoy it as well. Yeah. So like for you, how did you, how did you make that decision? Like what, yeah, what, what went into deciding one way or the other?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's an interesting story. It was, um, you know, I was at this company, a big company, and uh, my boss had recently left. He was a director. And a couple of weeks had gone by. And the VP at the time, who I didn't know very well, called me into his office and he said, hey, Jay, I'm kind of surprised you didn't come and, and ask me for this job at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I said back to him, I'm like, well, I'm not really sure I want that job. And I think that caught him by surprise. <laughs> um, and he, he sort of convinced me that he thought I'd be the best person for it. Uh, you know, I always, especially having done all those startups early in my career and being one of the first tech people at the startups, you know, I've always spent a lot of my time explaining tech things to non-tech people. Mm. Uh, and so I'm pretty good at that. And I think that translates really well, you know, at, at bigger companies, uh, when they're looking for someone to to manage or lead a team, you know, is the person that can translate those technical issues and technical concerns into the language of of the business uh, into non technical people, uh, and so it convinced me that that you know I'd be good at it, and uh, you know, uh, I made the plunge, uh, and and ever since then, I think the thing that really, when it clicked for me, and and it's kind of playing off what you're talking about, is you know, I, I love the idea of architecting systems, right? It's part of the reason I love writing code and and being a programmer. Uh, And at some point I realized that that being a leader is a very similar thing. You know, you're creating a system of sorts, uh, but it's with people and it's far less deterministic than a program, (laughs) right? And the the feedback loop is a lot longer and the signals are a lot less clear. But at the end of the day, you're still designing a system of a sort. Uh, And once that kind of clicked for me, Uh, it it started to make a lot of sense and I started to be able to apply a lot of the same principles you use in in designing tech systems to to creating teams and organizations.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think, I do think engineers can become very good managers because I think some of those, those skills translate um, pretty, pretty well, even though the stereotype of an engineer is, is not a particularly, uh, people oriented person. I do think that, that, that architecting and the, that systems level thinking can be really beneficial when, when working with teams of, of humans, obviously it's not like you say, it's not deterministic and the feedback loops and the signals can be a little bit more muddy, but I completely agree. You yeah. did mention something. You just have to like, add that yeah. empathy element, right? You need to have empathy
1: when you're writing code for the operating system, but, um, when it's with people, that that's the big key. As long as you bring empathy to it as well, um, you know, it'll probably work out.
0: Yeah. So so real quick, you did actually mention that that one of the skills that 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 was important for you in going to the management was being able to explain um, technical concepts to to people, like possibly non technical people. I consider that to be uh, a really really important skill. Is there any, like, do you, do you consider that to be valuable for um, most engineers or only when you're getting into the more tech lead engineering manager type uh, space?
1: I think it's the most important thing, you know, uh, in real estate, they have the saying location, location, location. You know, I think there should be a similar saying for careers. It's communication, communication, (laughs) communication, right? Um, I love that. You could be the, uh, you know, the deepest expert in a topic. But if you can't effectively transfer that knowledge out to the rest of the team and organization, then it's not adding the value that it could add, right? Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a manager or a leader. Like even as an engineer, you have to be able to to sell your ideas and communicate them uh, to affect change. Um, and if you can't do that effectively, then you know you won't get the, the the you know your output will be limited.
0: Yeah. Do you um do you when you think about what like what makes good communication or like how how to communicate or, or you know teach non technical people about you know technical topics. Like is there a way to to get better at that? Like when you think about doing that, is there a particular framework that you use or particular techniques, like I don't know, metaphor or whatever? Like, is there a way that you think about it that, that it that might be helpful for people? Yeah. I mean ultimately it's all trial and error right?
1: With everything you want to get good at. Um, and so keep trying and figuring out what's working and what's not working. Um, metaphor goes a long way, you know, understanding the, the audience you're communicating to and what their background is and, and what sort of framing would make sense to them uh, and putting it into to their language and their terms, right? You know, if you're, at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to create some kind of value with the development that we do, and that value is typically something for a customer or for the business and uh, being able to articulate in those terms uh, really goes a long way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. the, the Again, that, the, uh, that value, um, like the the terms, like that the business can understand, right? I, yeah, I think that's such an important thing. Like, like oftentimes... Um, you know, one of the patterns I see a lot with junior engineers is that they will they'll come into a project and they'll see like, oh, this isn't using TypeScript. It would be so much better if it was using TypeScript. We need to use TypeScript. And they they don't really think about all of the, the different things that that go into the code Meaning why is this code even even valuable like if this code were to run twice as fast performance or was to you know was twice as efficient and it used half the cpu like would that make its value double like would it be twice as valuable to the customer or would it be you know half as expensive for the company to run and and therefore the, the margin would be twice as much um, because those are those are the considerations that come into play. And it's not to say that you wouldn't be able to convince um, leadership to be like, oh yeah, you're right, like the advantages of TypeScript are really important, let's switch over. But you would have to put it in such a way that that it's like, oh, see all of these types of bugs that we keep having? Well, all of these types of bugs would be prevented by TypeScript. And if we look at all the time that we've spent uh, fixing all of these bugs, that winds up being you know so many weeks of developer time, which is very expensive, And so if we just spend, you know, two weeks to fix it once and for all, we're going to get that savings back over time. Now, honestly, I don't think usually it works out that way, Uh, but um, it's really important to make your case that way for um, for doing particular technical projects or or changes.
1: Yeah. And this is so common. Uh, you know, I see it with with junior developers, and I see it with senior developers all the time. You know, they've got some strong opinion about some different technology they want to use, or something along those lines, right? And normally, I, I, I say there's there's two big key questions to ask yourself there, right? One is um, you might be right, but is it the most important next thing to do, or is there something mm-hmm. that's more valuable mm-hmm. for for the the team to, to spend their time on, right? And oftentimes, it's not that. People disagree with you about that point. It's that it's not necessarily the most, the next most valuable thing to do,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and so just always ask yourself that, right? Like, what's the most valuable thing we can do right now, and is this it? Um, and, and then, second, you don't, you're not going to win, you know, the argument every time, uh, but if you have a long term perspective with it, you know, plant those seeds. And that example you gave, right? Like, maybe the person you're talking to doesn't understand the value of, of adding the typing from TypeScript, Uh, but if you plant that seed and you kind of reinforce it over time, uh, you repeat it a bit, repetition is really important here, and and then there's some big bug that gets everyone's attention, and (laughs) you can then show at that moment, hey, remember that thing I told you about six months (laughs) ago, how it'd be really valuable if we added typing? Yeah, it would have stopped this from happening. Um, Oh, yeah. And and so I think sometimes, you know, people are just really impatient with it, and they expect to be able to roll out a logical argument and have everyone change their mind tomorrow. Um, but really have a longer time horizon view of it and see if you can, you know, plant the seeds now uh, and maybe you'll you'll get them there six months or a year from now.
0: Oh, that's yeah, that's a really that's a really good point is just having a little bit of a longer perspective. And that part of the answer is is time probably a huge yeah, a huge part both. And in fact, both of those things were related to time, which is it, it's not it's not necessarily that it's not the right thing to do it's just not right now um and then you know that second part is you know the the demand for a particular solution uh is going to be uh proportional to uh the i guess the the size of the pain and and how recent that pain is and so if you if you wait a little bit For that pain to be large and fresh in people's mind, they might be very motivated to uh, try a solution uh, for it. So, uh, speaking of of these things, also, in fact, before I move on, actually, you mentioned empathy, and I do think that that is probably one of the defining uh, characteristics of a senior engineer. Um, This idea that you can you can create tools or you can can anticipate uh, how other developers would would approach a problem. And so that when you are writing code, you're creating tools, you can kind of do it in a way that isn't going to surprise them or it will be um, it will be useful. Uh, I think I think that that empathy is is really useful, like putting yourself in in the minds of other developers, and and maybe being able to do that can take some time. Like you have to to experience or have walked uh, in those shoes long enough before to to kind of understand how other people would. Um, but I, I did want to kind of throw that out there. What what other um, what other differences do you do you see between uh, senior developers and junior developers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's just sphere of influence, you know, it's as you go up that, that IC career ladder, you know, what you should be having is a larger and larger impact across a broader section of organization. So you become Mm -hmm. more of a thought leader, uh, and a person that someone turns to for solutions and answers. Um, Whereas when you're more junior, it's just more narrow. uh, And I think that's the main thing. But, um, you know, like I said before. All of that's communication, right? Like, you, once you learn the skill set, um, having a broader influence really is having a, a more effective communication strategy uh, for the ideas you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what's interesting about the communication part is like that—that's something that can just be worked on uh, immediately. There, there really isn't any barriers to working on communication early. I think even if you are new to a team. Um, you can start working on over-communicating, keeping people apprised of what you're working on, what you're thinking, how you can approach problems, um, like where you, you know, documentation, things like that. All of this stuff winds up being pretty, um, I'd say, like, either useful or, um, you know, or appreciated or or at the very least, um, you know, it will just sort of raise your profile within the group. People will just be more familiar with you and it will, yeah, it'll help practice those, those skills. Yeah, and it's about being able to synthesize
1: it down to the really the important parts, right? And I think, you know, a mistake I see a lot of junior developers make is um, they're so excited that they've learned how to do all this awesome tech stuff. And they want everyone else to understand all the details of Mm -hmm. the thing they had, they built, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And really, your bosses want to not think about the details of it. And, (laughs) you know, have you handled that? And then just understand really what's critical uh, at a top level for them to know. Um, And and so it's being able to really, I'd say, uh, say less, but say more by saying less.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, just be like, maybe more efficient with, um, with those words. So when you're, let's say you're building a team, like what, what are you looking for? Or what have you looked for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is, you know, you want someone first and foremost to be a good team member. Um, and, and that to me is more important than even the technical skills. Um, it, it's pretty easy, you know, when you're interviewing to figure out if someone can code or not, um, figure out how deep their knowledge is. Uh, it's kind of hard to figure out if they're going to be a good team member or not. But that stuff mm-hmm. is, is really the most important, you know, are they optimistic are they curious, are they, you know, ambitious, those are all the the, the really important things that will tell you whether they're going to help, you know, help the team uh, achieve more or not. And that's really ultimately what it's all about.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you were to think of like, like an ideal teammate, like, you mentioned like that they're like optimistic. and, And earlier, you mentioned, you know, maybe like proactive. Yeah, like what, like what? Yeah, what, what, what is that? What are those qualities that that maybe somebody listening can can try and like work on or cultivate?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, I mean, there's so many, but it, it's really just being um, passionate in some sense uh, and caring about the output and the quality of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to pay attention to the details, caring about the details, caring about the quality of it. Um, and really, I would say um, just t- taking pride in what you do. Uh, and caring about its success—that's uh, mm-hmm. really the most important thing. Um, and then caring about the people around you, and, and wanting to make you know the, the team unit better, not just uh, individually yourself getting better. Um, because ultimately, you know, running a company uh, is a team sport, and <laughs> totally. you know it's—and um, you're all in that boat, and it's either going to rise or sink together. Uh, and so, you know, you want someone that's really going to help. Elevate everyone else uh, at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're junior, you know, people aren't necessarily looking for you to, to be that, um, but they're looking for you to be able to, to you know, really own uh, the space that you're responsible for and, mm-hmm. and, and get it done. Uh, and, and, you know, then the unit will, will function better.
0: Right. Yeah, there's definitely that responsibility and that ownership right there's there, there is a lot of space to you know for someone to say yep i got that and then and then actually deliver it or you know to the extent that there's a problem at least surface that with you know enough lead time to to make sure it doesn't become a real problem but yeah, yeah that, and i would say
1: just start at you know once you've knocked out your your you know responsibilities like let's say you're using jira for for managing stories and you're doing sprints like most teams are so once you've completed your stories in the sprint you know, look around and, and ask how you can help out somewhere else. You know, that's a yeah. really good place to start. Um, yeah, and then, you know, you're it's clear that you're you're there to help the team and, and you're really trying to go above and beyond.
0: Yeah, that 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 like almost like that service mentality that that you are looking to be helpful. Um, I think I think really goes goes a long way. Um. So, uh, I guess like thinking a little bit more. Uh, broadly now like do you do you think that there's there's like uh, one thing that i hear from from junior developers is that, that that's almost like it's really crowded it's hard hard to get noticed that there's just a lot of junior developers applying for not very many junior level positions um from your vantage point is this something that you see that, that maybe there's like an oversaturation of of junior developers
1: uh you not really you know i kind of see the opposite you know i've been doing this you know going on two decades at this point and in the entire 20 years i've been doing this it's always been very hard to find good talented developers mm-hmm. um and pretty much the entire 20 years i've been doing this you know the companies i've worked for have been hiring nonstop the entire time for developers um and so mm-hmm. i think the demand is there um you know i think it's um You know, I know something I struggled with early in my career is, you know, when you're learning how to program and you're reading stuff online, you're reading a bunch of blog posts, things of that nature, uh, you're seeing some of the best developers in the world and you're Mm -hmm. comparing yourself to them. And, um, you know, those aren't the people that are applying for the jobs you're applying for, (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, you're you're probably doing a lot better than you think. Um, And I would just say, you know, maybe be a little more bold. Uh, and apply for more things, even things that maybe seem a little outside of your uh, skill set. Like a good example, you know, and there's all these jokes on the internet, right? Where you know there's a job description that says they're looking for someone with ten years of experience in a technology that's only been around for three years. That kind of oh, stuff, totally, right? yeah. Um, but the truth is, a lot of times when I've posted jobs, um, you get very few candidates, and, and and you know, managers and companies start expanding you know, what, you know, the, the qualifications they're looking for, or are loosening them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it says, Hey, we're looking for someone with five years of experience, but you've only got three apply for it anyways, because you'll be surprised sometimes um, they might not be finding, you know, who they're looking for uh, and they might be willing to take a chance on you. And so I yeah. think it's um, you know, you just got to put yourself out there um, and know that um, you know, it's not going to be a fit everywhere. Uh, and that's okay. Don't take it personally, uh, but just keep trying, and, and it'll it, you'll likely find someone uh, that's willing to take it.
0: Yeah, definitely easier said than done. Like that rejection can be can be hard, but to the extent that you can get a little bit more comfortable with it and um, comfortable with putting yourself out there, I think that that helps a lot. Yeah, it's yeah, really. And I and think it's an, I like to tell yeah. people
1: too is, um, you know, a lot of managers that are out there doing the interviews, they're not always that great at it. And so, you know, just because they, you know, they, you know, decided to go with someone else. Um, I wouldn't read too much into that. Uh, yeah. There's a good chance that um, they're not that great at hiring. To begin with.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, man, I've got so much to say about that. Um, yeah, I you know, so, so for Superstruct, right. We, a lot of what Superstruct does is putting together teams for, uh, for companies and and startups. So we're out there, we look, we're looking for engineers. Um, a lot of how we do things is very particular. We have our, our, you know, a very detailed process for how we do it. Um, and we look at like how other companies do it today. It's so, I mean, it's, it's almost like mind-boggling that this industry functions the way that some of the hiring is done. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, these, you know, I, and I understand the reason why people like whiteboard interviews or why they like, um, you know, doing like brain teaser, like old what is it? Like I think Microsoft was known for like why are manhole covers round? Or yeah, even Google like... did all
1: kinds of crazy questions in the early
0: days. <laughs> yeah and like I feel like you know it's like those like those management consulting companies like were known for doing their own and it's almost like tech companies wanted to copy that. It's like how many ping pong balls can fit in a school bus or things like that and and like for me, I always think of those are those are proxy questions right you you they're just like you're you're trying to come up with this proxy to figure out if someone can do the job, and I just think that's so stupid um we're really big on on just actually giving uh paid um challenges that very very closely mimic future tasks on on the roadmap so we can kind of simulate closely what the job would be like but so many companies don't do that right they they want you to solve uh you know a whiteboarding challenge they want to do like basic um you know data and, and algorithms questions which you know might be useful some of the time but most of the time you're not you're not trying to come up with your own sorting algorithm or or really trying to do something that's that's pretty crazy so to the extent that you don't make it through any of those those challenges or you don't make it over any of those hurdles you know I oftentimes I would chalk that up to the manager just doing something a little silly (laughs) yeah for sure and
1: it's you know it's and it's to some degree it's also about whether you you click with the people or not there's a subconscious element to it all right and sometimes you you know you click with the manager and sometimes you don't and and it's often not a reflection of of your ability to do the job Um, right and so you know i think it's important just to not take those things personally and and just keep keep putting yourself out there and, you know, maybe mix it up. Like I said, you know, I started off without a degree and without any professional experience. And the only people that would even humor hiring me were small startups. Um, but it, you know, it, it only takes one of those to get your foot in the door and for you to build a, a resume, uh, that you can then, you know, use to, to get somewhere else that you want to be.
0: Yeah, totally. And I, well, you know,
1: I took yeah. a, in that first job, Um, you know, he was really unsure about hiring me and I was really unsure about taking the job. And, you know, we negotiated a a contract where, you know, my comp started off well below what an average developers would be. Um, and it was to, you know, minimize the risk for him. Right. Um, but we kind of wrote into the contract that it would grow at a certain rate. And, um, you know, after being there for a year, I'd be up to what a real developer would be making. And, and it worked out great for both of us. Right. You know, he... Um, figured out that I was good at what I was doing and, and kept me around. And, uh, you know, I got to get my first professional experience, uh, which, you know, got me to here.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, so this, this actually touches on something that came up in the JSLA Slack recently, someone was asking whether or not uh, it was a good idea to take an unpaid internship. And uh, this sort of, is related to what you just mentioned. Now it's an extreme version of being paid well below market. You know, zero, or I don't know. Maybe there was like a stipend for the for the internship. And you know, it's interesting because the answer to that question ranges from no. You should know what you're worth. And as a as a developer, you're being exploited. You shouldn't work for free or for you know peanuts. Like you should make sure that you uh, get paid really well. Um, But on the other hand, I think it helps to have a little bit of perspective. And if, you know, it it depends on the company, right? I could totally imagine that there are people or companies that you will wind up make like having that experience and, and growing your capabilities and your network will wind up like that. That value will wind up dwarfing whatever you would have made during that internship at a, you know, a more fair market rate. Now, I don't really want to encourage people to go looking for those things. I think it's more of just having a little bit of perspective to recognize that the value that you get from a company or the payment is not purely uh, your take home salary. Um, I think, you know, in your case, you 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 were able to negotiate a good contract where that was able to to rise. But, you know, that was just really good for your career, non-monetary ways, too, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, it would have to be an exceptional case for, for me to recommend anyone doing it to do an unpaid internship. Um, you know, that's pretty far out there. I think if it's the, you know, you know, for sure, that's the place you want to be, or that's the person you want to work for. Uh, you know, it, maybe it, it's an exceptional case. But, um, you know, you kind of want both people to have some skin in the game. Right, right. Uh, and, and so um, there are ways to do it that, that aren't an unpaid internship. Like I said, I took a much lower salary for my first job than, you know, an average developer would make, uh, but we wrote into the contract that it would increase over time. Uh, and if, you know, it wasn't working out, we could either, you know, either one of us could end it at any time. Um, I think something like that, you know, can definitely work out for people. Uh, and I, I'm not sure why, you know, why you would go for an unpaid internship over something like that. Um, but yeah, be oh, yeah. creative. You're trying to get your foot in the door.
0: Yeah, I guess I should be very clear. Like, I don't actually recommend uh, looking for an unpaid internship. And I think if you do come across one, uh, you should look at it very carefully. Like, Jay, like you just said, I think it would have to be an extreme case um, that you're probably not likely to run into. But I, I could imagine there are some particularly notable figures that, you know, maybe could launch your career, like it just would be that remarkable. I think that's conceivable, but probably not likely what what we're talking <laughs> talking about.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing, though, is that um, what, I think what most people, junior developers, don't quite realize is that the farther you get into your career, uh, the more important your network becomes. Mm. And, and that's where the value really, uh, you really start to get a lot of value out of the places that you work, right? So um, this idea of getting through the interview and solving Google's weird you know, puzzle questions, um, you know, that's only important at that early stage in your career or really important. Uh, and it's kind of a one-time event, but once you get in, once you get some experience behind yourself, uh, over time, you know, your network of, of, colleagues becomes far more important. Um, and far more, uh, you know, becomes a primary source of, of how you'll find new jobs and things of that nature. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think I, um, had a resume for the past 15 years, right? Like pretty yeah. much the last, you know, two or three times I've switched jobs it's because I knew someone there who I'd worked with before and they were recommending me. Uh, and so that's how, you know, you get, you know, a lot of jobs later in your career.
0: Yeah, a lot of those those interviews are, are basically going to be because you're not a known quantity. It's the, the way that the company is trying to figure out What it would be like to work with you and what you're capable of. But yeah, Jay, as you just said, uh, (laughs) after your network grows and people have worked with you, they know what you're capable of, they know what it's like to work alongside you. If they go to a new company, they they can pretty much just vouch for you and say like, no, we really want this person. They're going to be perfect at this. We need to get them over there. We don't need to Reevaluate them now. Certain companies have policies that are more or less set in stone, and and you wind up having those those interviews, but they wind up being often, sometimes more of a, a formality or kind of a last check. But yeah, I think networking is hugely important. I think um, to the extent that you you don't have a large professional network, it is something that you can concentrate on through. Uh, meetups and conferences and things like that. And um, it's not going to be one of those things that pays off immediately. Uh, you do need to nurture those relationships over a longer period of time, but that is going to be, without a doubt, one of the more important um, foundations for a career. Well, Jay, uh, this has been great. Uh, where can people find out more about you online?
1: Yeah, thanks, David, for having me. Yeah. Um... You can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty active there. I'm at DJ Donald. Uh, you can also look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Danny J. Donald there. Um, there's one other uh, J. Donald in the world. He's a Broadway actor. So if you search my name, <laughs> you know, he, he usually dominates the results. Uh, oh, it's not. Him... That's just
0: not a, a side hobby of yours.
1: No, no, it's not. We're both in L.A., uh, oddly. Um, Uh, one of these days I should probably ping him and meet up, (laughs) uh, because we seem to be the only two Jay Donalds in the world. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you search for me, you can probably find me once you scroll past, uh, the Broadway actor.
0: Awesome. And we'll, we'll put those links in the show notes, uh, as well. It'll take you directly to Jay. Uh, well, perfect. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.junior to senior.io.